0: Hey Red Door Church, great to be with you again. If you have a Bible, open it up to Psalm 23. That's where we're gonna be camped today. Uh, We're beginning today a new series focusing in on who God is. Like who God is in His very nature and being, and this is a series that Pastor Jimmy had an idea for a few weeks ago, and it came out of a conversation we were having where we kind of had noticed that this current crisis that we're living through had exposed some of the flimsiness of the the foundations of our worldview. Um, that. Over the years of, of peace and prosperity, we had sort of accumulated for ourselves a, a foundation for living that couldn't bear up under the weight of a crisis like the one we're going through now. And so we wanted to take the opportunity to examine the scriptures and to draw out some of the most precious and profound promises of scripture so that we can re-engage with them, remember them and and sort of relay the foundation for our lives based on these beautiful promises. And so we have a lofty goal for this series and uh, we're going to be beginning it today by looking at the, the fact that we have this promise in scripture that God is with us. I was reminded recently about how important it is to have these promises in our hearts, these promises ready to be drawn upon in times of crisis. I was reminded as we, as a family, looked at the Pilgrim's Progress again. If you don't know this book, it's the second biggest selling book after the Bible of all time. And it was written by a Puritan named John Bunyan. Um, he wrote it from prison after being in prison for preaching the gospel. And, um, and my wife Renee loves this book, and as do I. And we wanted to sort of introduce our kids to it. And so Renee's mum uh, did a beautiful thing and, and bought for the kids a film version of the story. And it's a relatively new animated film, uh, which you can buy on iTunes or I don't know, elsewhere. And, um, and so we watched this film together as a family, and there is one scene in the film, um, which is that the book is an allegory of the Christian life. And so it's meant to illustrate for us the a, a kind of typical pilgrimage of a typical Christian moving from that city of destruction that we're born into, into the celestial city, which is our heavenly dwelling place. And there's this scene in, in the story where Christian The main character of the story and his friend, Hopeful, uh, have been locked up by a giant named Despair, locked up in something called Doubting Castle. And so they're they're locked up in this castle, and, and here's what happens, and here's how they make their way out of it. Christian says, What a fool I have been to lie like this in a stinking dungeon when I could have just as well walked free. In my chest pocket, I have a key called promise that will, I am thoroughly persuaded, open any lock in Doubting Castle. Then, said Hopeful, that is good news. My good brother, do immediately take it out of your chest pocket and try it. Then Christian took the key from his chest and began to try the lock of the dungeon door and as he turned the key the bolt unlocked and the door flew open with ease so that christian and hopeful immediately came out it's really important that we notice that this key called promise was hidden in Christian's chest pocket. And I think what Bunyan is trying to communicate here is that as Christians, we have these promises of God which we keep in our hearts and we need to become so familiar with these promises that we can draw them out whenever we find ourselves locked up by circumstance. Elsewhere, he wrote about this and the, just the, the beautiful, glorious truth of God's promises This is what he wrote. I tell thee, friend, there are some promises that I would not have out of the Bible for as much gold and silver as can lie between York and London piled to the stars. Because through them, Christ is pleased by his spirit to convey comfort to my soul. We believe that that is true. And so over the next few weeks, we want to mine deep into the depths of the Bible and draw out those precious promises of God so that we might stand on them, so that we might have our lives and our minds and our hearts strengthened by them. Today, we're looking at this promise that God will be with us. And the way that we're going to do that is is by going to Psalm 23. Most of you will be very familiar with this psalm. And it is a beautiful example of the promise of God to be with us through all of life's circumstances. So I'm going to read it for you now. and encourage you to pick up a copy of your Bible and go to Psalm 23. And there it says this, a Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his namesake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord As long as I live. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This psalm is written by King David, and in it we see something of his experience. We see, first of all, the fact that as a shepherd, he understands the shepherd like love of God. You remember that David grew up tending to sheep and as a shepherd, he understood what it meant to provide for his sheep, to protect his sheep. He saw it as an all-of-life vocation. In his time and in that part of the world, shepherds would not just tend to sheep in a sort of nine to five, clock on, clock off kind of way, but it was an all-of-life vocation. It was a commitment that they had to their sheep to provide for them, to protect them round the clock. And that's how he views God and God's providence. He also understood what it was to be a sufferer. So if you read the history of David, you'll see that his life is a life of suffering. Yes, he was a man after God's own heart. Yes, he had certain privileges, particularly as king of Israel, but his life was shot through with suffering. He was pursued by a guy named Saul who wanted to kill him. Then after he took the throne, he suffered through the sin of his own making as he committed adultery with Bathsheba and had her husband Uriah killed, as he experienced the loss of their child through to his own son, pursuing him for his kingdom and his throne, being cast out of his own kingdom and on the run for for, for many, many years. David is someone who is acquainted with grief and with suffering. And so when we come to this psalm, we, we see that he is the expert who can lead us through this meditation on who God is, that God is our shepherd. So I want to just take this psalm a line or two at a time and see what God has for us as we look at it. So let's look at verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. This image of God as shepherd is not limited to this psalm or even the book of Psalms, but it's a common motif throughout the Old Testament. And it was meant to evoke in the minds of the people of the time this idea that God is a loving God. He is a providing God. He is a protecting God. This is really drawn out in beautiful imagery in Ezekiel chapter 34. This is what it says there. I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak. I will feed them in justice. Fundamental to this idea of God as shepherd is the idea that He is a provider. The provision of God is just saturated throughout the lines of this psalm. I began the year this year in a really difficult place, just a really, it was a really personally tough time for me at the the turn of the year, and so I determined that each day I would go for a walk and I would just meditate on one line of Psalm 23. And in the end, it was just a beautiful experience of intimacy with God. But the beginning, as I started out on this journey, it was really difficult because I got to the first line of the Psalm and I couldn't get past it. Couldn't get past it because I, I couldn't come to terms with the idea that I have all that I need. I worked through that line in my mind, and the first thing I thought was, Well, maybe that's true for David, that's not true for me. I don't have all that I need. I'm in a, a terrible, like dire straits right now, and I I just can't say this with any conviction. Because it was really interesting what happened over those days and weeks that I actually took time to slow down and meditate on this psalm. I found actually when I looked at my life through the lenses of that promise, it was actually true of me. I do in fact have all that I need because I have Jesus. And if I have Jesus then I have all that I need. It exposed something within me because I've said for many years, the kind of a catchphrase, that, that Jesus plus nothing equals everything, but I wasn't actually living that out in my experience. It wasn't functioning as a promise that I had built my life on. And so I saw in my life all of these things that were lacking And it was driving me away from a deep appreciation of who God is and his promises. So actually dwelling on and meditating and wrestling with this psalm kind of cleared the fog of my misapprehensions and reminded me of the truth that in Jesus I have all that I need. I challenge you to do the same thing. Just take this psalm, take a line each day and work through each one until you've been able to soak in it enough to believe it. All right, verse 2 and 3. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. What does life look like if you allow Jesus to be your good shepherd? In John chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. So, what does it look like if you allow him to be your shepherd? What it looks like is refreshment and restoration. And renewal and revival, all of the good res, that's what's characteristic of life under Jesus, the good shepherd. Because the the areas, the environments, the, the ecosystems that he leads us into, green pastures, quiet waters, right paths, these are environments where we can allow his grace to minister to us. For our refreshment. That's what it's like to live under his shepherd-like care. So the question is today for you in this time of crisis where, like I just know for a fact, most of us are feeling exhausted. Most of us, most of us are feeling worn down by the weight of this season that we're living through. I saw a survey just the other day where nine out of ten pastors in Australia are saying that they're exhausted. And I know for a fact that 10 out of 10 parents are feeling exhausted, particularly those of you who, like my wife Renee, are homeschooling children at the moment. It's exhausting. It's wearing us down. So in the midst of this season... Will you allow yourself to be ministered to by the good shepherd Jesus? Will you allow him to guide you into green pastures and quiet waters and right paths? He lets me lie down in green pastures. Are you allowing him to do that? Are you inviting him in to be your shepherd, to be your guide? just recommend that you work through the last 10 weeks of teaching that we've done on the way of Jesus, where essentially we've been encouraging you to do this, to follow him as an apprentice, to follow him as a sheep of the shepherd. These practices that we've been talking about in silence and solitude and prayer and Bible reading and confession and all of these things are part and parcel of what it means to Lie down in green pastures. It's part and parcel of what it means to allow the good shepherd to provide for you, to protect you, and to refresh and restore you. Let's move on to verse 4. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You know, I think one of the most dangerous and demonic lies that we can believe as Christians is that God is with us in good times, and then when we're going through bad times, it must mean that God has abandoned us. I was having a conversation with someone from our church recently for whom this was a a, a new idea, that they had grown up believing and had been reinforced with teaching this idea that if they are suffering they must have sinned in some way they must have done something to make God abandon them to that suffering that is so demonic that is so dangerous that is so destructive thankfully that lie is corrected in this beautiful psalm in verse 4 we're told that even when we walk through the darkest valley, we fear no danger. Why? Because you are with me. The good shepherd is with me. Now notice, and I think it's interesting that up until this point, David has been speaking about the Lord. But now that he's engaging with suffering and dark valleys he starts speaking to the Lord and I think this is probably reflective of our experience as well and I hope it has been reflective of your experience of suffering through this crisis that where in the past you might have just referred to God spoken about God this crisis has driven you into the dark valley to the point where you're actually engaging with God you are with me Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. As dark as this current crisis gets, and it could get darker than it has, I think, up until this point in our country. We've been spared so much of the suffering that other nations have been through. But as dark as it gets, we can know for sure that we need not fear any danger, for God is with us. I fear no danger, for you are with me. I was reminded of the, the reassuring power of God being with us the other night as uh, I was um, in my den preparing for our parish council meeting and i heard judah from upstairs calling out um, that he wanted me to come to his room and I knew that Renee was already engaged with India doing the same comforting reassuring thing with her and so I just before the meeting started I ran upstairs and I said to him listen mate I you know I'm, I'm here I'm, I'm still here in the house but I've got this meeting and I've got to do down in my den but I'm don't worry I'm still here and he said no, no, no daddy I, I need you with me I need you here in the room with me I know that you're downstairs. I know that you've got your meeting, but I need you with me. There is a power that goes beyond just the knowledge that, yeah, daddy is around somewhere to daddy is actually With me. And the same is true for us in our experience of God. It's not enough to have this kind of functional, deistic kind of God where He is out there in the ether somewhere and and maybe He's even looking over me and, and, and checking in on me from time to time. There is a world of difference between that common idea of who God is and this truth that we have right in front of us. God is not just out there, He is here. He is with me. Even when I go through the darkest valley, He is right there with me. We have these twin truths, theological truths about God, one being His transcendence. Yes, He is huge, powerful, sovereign, holy. You know, He is far above us. His thoughts are not our thoughts, His ways are not our ways, as Isaiah said. But together with the transcendence of God, we have this truth about the imminence of God. He is not just up above us. He is down here with us. This was, of course, best illustrated by the good shepherd Jesus, who was Emmanuel, God with us. Why do we fear no danger, even in the darks valley? Because you are with me. move on to verse five and six you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies you anoint my head with oil my cup overflows only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life and i will dwell in the house of the lord as long as i live In the last couple of lines of the poem, David switches the imagery from God as shepherd to God as generous host. And his predicament remains, right? He's still in the dark valley. He's still surrounded by enemies. But God's provision remains as well, such that even in the midst of this this baying brood of enemies, he's able to sit easy knowing that God has laid out a table for him that he has anointed his head with oil, that his cup is overflowing. And so I wonder if this is how you yourself visualize these times of crisis that you're going through, right? Even in the midst of enemies, surrounded by enemies of Satan and sin and death and sickness, in the midst of these enemies, are you able to sit easy, reassured of God's provision and protection, How do you visualize the circumstances of life when they turn to crisis? How do you you see yourself in the midst of that battle? Do you see yourself standing alone, right, trying to defend yourself against these enemies that are too powerful for you? Or do you see yourself as a mere sheep, right, fragile, easily overwhelmed, but in the care of the good shepherd whose rod and staff is able to protect you. That will make the world of difference to you in the midst of these times that we're facing at the moment. That will make the world of difference as to how you are able to deal with and live through times of trial. We've talked in the past about the difference between an abundance mindset and a scarcity mindset. In the scarcity mindset, I'm up against all of these dangers and, and trials and snares. And, and all I have is myself and my meager resources to try and battle through and you know, keep calm and carry on and maybe make it to the end. But when we have the Bible's abundance mindset... We still see that there are enemies surrounding us. We still see the reality of dark valleys. We still see the necessity for rod and staff. But we understand that it is the shepherd who provides us with protection. It's the shepherd who provides us with provision. It's because of him that we can rest easy. It's because of him that we can sit down and eat in the midst of our gathered adversaries. This is an abundance mindset at work which has enabled David to write such a beautiful poem of God's provision and protection. So in the midst of this time of trial that we're living through, I want to speak to you as God's sheep. If you are a sheep today in his pasture then i want you to take a hold of this promise from this beautiful poem i want you to take a hold of it and and allow it to soak into your very being please do take up that challenge for for the rest of this coming week each day take a line of this psalm and meditate on it meditate on it long enough that you start to actually believe it and live out of the solid foundation that provides for you. Meditate on, soak in this beautiful promise that God is with us. That's the message to you if you are watching this today as one of God's sheep. But what if you are a sheep who has wandered from the fold? What if it's been years since you remember what it was like to actually be actively shepherded by Jesus? What if maybe even just more recently through this experience of trial and suffering you've been driven away from green pastures and quiet waters? How does God view you now? How will God treat you now? What does God do with wandering, rebellious and sinful sheep? I want to read for you what Jesus said about God's heart for you. What do you think, Jesus said, if someone has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, won't he leave the 99 on the hillside and go and search for the stray? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he rejoices over that sheep more than over the 99 that did not go astray. In the same way, it is not the will of your Father in heaven that one of these little ones perish. The heart of the good shepherd for sheep who have wandered is a heart of compassion and mercy and grace. He wants to pursue you and pick you up and carry you home. And so invite you, I invite you to do that today. Come home. Come home to the fold. Come home to green pastures and quiet waters. Be refreshed and restored and revived today. Come home. To the Good Shepherd. I'll leave you with a quote from, I'm going to say my favourite book of 2020. So at least so far, we're in May now. Uh, so far this year, my favourite book has been this one by Dane Ortland. It's called Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. It's worth the price you paid just for the beautiful dusk j- dust jacket. Um uh, incidentally, on the dust jacket, it has a picture of uh, a fold of sheep. And I want to read to you just a beautiful quote about Jesus' heart for his sheep. We cannot present a reason for Christ to finally close off his heart to his own sheep. No such reason exists. Every human friend has a limit. If we offend enough, if a relationship gets damaged enough, if we betray enough times, we are cast out. The walls go up. With Christ, our sins and weaknesses are the very resume items that qualify us to approach him. Jesus does not love like us. We love until we are betrayed. Jesus continued to the cross despite betrayal. We love until we are forsaken. Jesus loved through forsakenness. We love up to a limit. Jesus loves to the end. My friends, God is with us. Let's stand on that promise this week and allow it to shape all of our thoughts, words, and deeds. I'm going to pray for us now as we go, and I'm going to use Paul's words of prayer in Ephesians chapter 3. My brothers and sisters, I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his Spirit, And that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height height and depth of God's love. And to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen.